Well, it's time for our friends from Joma. Yesterday, uh, not yesterday, but a few days ago, somebody stopped me on the street and uh, thanked us for um, for calling attention to the importance of vaccinations in the uh, Orthodox community and how we just want people to be educated about the efficacy of the vaccine. And then, of course, we'd we'd, we'd hope that they would take it. Um. And that's the goal. And our friends from Joma have been uh, at the forefront of all of this, as many of you know. They have been uh, educating people in our community with a variety of uh, podcasts, live town halls, which we continue to get reports, have been extremely uh, helpful. And um, just by educating as many people as possible through as many forums as possible, including this one. Uh, Joma is the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. With us live via telephone is Dr. Sarah Becker. Dr. Becker is a fellow of child and adolescent psychiatry at uh, Zucker Hillside Hospital at Northwell Health in Long Island. She's also chair of Joma's COVID-19 Vaccine Task Force. She's the co-author of Joma's COVID-19 vaccine guidelines, as well as the recent article on the COVID-19 vaccine for The Voice that is uh, based in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Dr. Sarah Becker, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. And a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Nahum. I I have to believe that, and I mean, you could certainly correct me if I'm wrong, I have to believe when someone is given the responsibility of co-authoring COVID-19 vaccine guidelines, that could be a very nerve-wracking experience. Was it a difficult process? I wouldn't call it a difficult process. I think that there's a lot out there, and our job is really to collate what are evidence-based and science-based, because there's also a lot of noise out there. And that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to, and, and in everything that we do, we're trying to bring the education out to the forefront of, you know, this is where, what this, the real scientific evidence is. This is what we know. Sometimes we have to say this is what we don't know. Um, but to know, you know, what sources are you using um, and to help people find that for themselves. Right. And then... Uh... When that finally is completed, you look back and say, I mean, I'd have to imagine you look back and say, okay, you know, I think we have here the best product, right? In terms of what to put in, what to leave out, we have the best product uh, for people to to read it and hopefully be uh, uh, be educated. I don't want to use the word influence, but educated in terms of the e- efficacy of the vaccine and the recommendation that... Hello? Yeah. I'm, that's, Hello? That's exactly. Oh, Hello? there we go. Okay, we, 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 we had some audio problem there for a second. Uh, the efficacy of the vaccine and the uh, reliability uh, that, you know, in 99.9% of the cases, uh, the vaccine has demonstrated. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is, you know, our message, and I like how you said, you know, we educate people, we right. don't influence people because we're not influencers. I actually, I'll totally acknowledge to your listeners I downloaded Instagram for the first time about a week ago um, because I've never been on it before. And I said, you know what, I, th- I think it's time. Um, but I'm clearly not an influencer. I would not make an effective influencer. Um, but I, I, I would like to fancy myself an educator, right? I think that's right. a natural role for doctors to play is to educate um, the public, especially about, you know, uh, things of medicine and, and, you know, questions of uh, new advances in science. Um, And so, 
um, you know, that's, that's what we want to do. We want to say, like, here, you know, here's the data, which is why we are telling you that we believe this vaccine is safe. Well, here's the data to tell you why we're saying that this vaccine is going to be effective in preventing, um, you know, at the very least severe infection from COVID-19. Um, and in an ideal sense, um, you know, even just getting any COVID-19, right? And then yep. the importance of, of that is the fact that, um, and, and we see this happening already, let's say, in Eric which is way ahead of the curve on us on this, is that, yeah. you know, when you get significant portions of the population vaccinated, restrictions go away. Restrictions are lifted. And actually, Dr. Minkin, who I've mentioned on this, on this, you know, radio show before, who's wonderful. She's the chair of our preventative health committee. She does our um, podcast. She's releasing a podcast this Thursday with um, Dr. Gina Zimmerman to talk about the Israel experience with the vaccine and what we can learn from them. Very cool. Um, There are two things I need you to address with me, and Dr. Sarah Becker is with us. Uh, The first is that, and and we've made this point before, but I I occasionally will ask the JOMA representatives to make it again with me. Everyone assumes that this is a a vaccine that took a year to, to manufacture for obvious reasons. You know, COVID's been around basically for a little bit over a year. Um, what people don't realize outside of the science community, outside of the medical community, and again, I think this is one of the reasons why doctors are at the forefront of reminding people just how important the vaccine is and how effective the vaccine is and how safe the vaccine is. What people don't realize is that a vaccine like this has really been 20 years in the making, and I'm using that, you know, the 20 arbitrarily, but you get my point, meaning that the research that's been done and the types of uh, knowledge and scientific data and conclusions that went into this specific vaccine. These are things that have been studied in labs for decades at this point. And I think people need to, people who under people who uh, will uh, argue that you know such a young vaccine, we have no idea you know what, what may happen down the road. I think they need to know that there's a tremendous tremendous amount of quote unquote vaccine experience behind this vaccine. Would you agree with all of this? Yeah, so what I can say is the, and you're referring to the mRNA technology that's right. used in the two main vaccines on the market right now. Um, and that has been in development, um, I would say, for over a decade, 20 years probably sounds about right. It's been used um, a lot in research on uh, actually, you know, cancer drugs, because that's, I think, where they thought it was going to go first, you know, teaching the body to, you know, fight cancer. Um, and this is a technology that's been quite well studied. So while, you know, people ask me, I think one of the common questions that I get is, um, you know, well, should we be worried about the unknown long-term effects of the COVID-19 vaccine, right? Mm-hmm. And my response always is, is that anytime you're making a decision, you need to, you know, weigh what is theoretical and a small, small risk right? Uh, this unknown risk of, yes, I, you know, you're right. I had, nobody's had the COVID-19 vaccine in their body for over a year at this point. Mm-hmm. You are right. But I would also point out that there has never been a vaccine with long-term effects, right? You know, vaccine side effects are known within the first, you know, the majority within the first eight weeks, if not, you know, within the first six months. And then you need to weigh this unlikely small chance, I mean, not even small, minuscule, I think would be the right word, of, you know, long-term side effects against a really serious disease. And I say that 
you know, knowing that people say, oh, well, I'm young, oh, I'm healthy, what do I mean it? You know, COVID-19 has a lot of surprises for people, regardless of your age. You know, there's a study that came out that said a third of people with who've had COVID-19 have long-term sequelae. And some of those people who have long-term consequences of the disease are young, they're healthy, they're like me, you know? Um, And I, you know, I think of a friend, obviously this is anecdotal, but I have a friend who, you know, a a colleague that I know who, you know, had COVID-19 and she used to be a runner and this was, uh, and I don't mean a professional runner, but, Mm -hmm. you know, runner for fun. Uh, She's not back to it yet. She just can't do it. She doesn't have enough air, and she's young. She was young. She was healthy. She clearly was healthy. She was a runner, um, but she wasn't able to get back to it because she just doesn't have enough air, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she's too fatigued. Um, and uh, we hear these stories, right? If you want to hear about uh, COVID nineteen long haulers, I'll refer, refer you to another one of Dr. Minkin's podcast. She did a great one. I think it was last week or two weeks ago with Dr. Stahl talking about COVID nineteen long haulers. So when people say, you know, oh, well, it's only been on the market for a year, I'm worried about it, I'll say, yes, there was a history, you know, long history of this technology, but more importantly, can we think about what we're weighing, right? right? We're weighing this, you know, thing that you're the boogeyman in the closet that we're afraid of versus, you know, what we know is a real, real problem because we've been seeing it for the past. No question about it. Dr. Sarah Becker is with us. Joma.org is where we point people. Joma.org, the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. There is a specific tab at the top, COVID-19 resources. We um, uh, we uh, ask people to check that out. And you can also see all the videos that now are on Joma.org because they've done a bunch of town halls and a bunch of videos that are uh, that were um, uh, with um, uh, tremendous attendance from people around the world. And uh, you'll see those on the website. We highly recommend them. Based on what you just said, I have to ask you the next question. This was the second thing I wanted to bring up. Believe me, I'm concerned, as any normal human being is concerned about anybody who takes a vaccine, uh, any of the women out there who took it and got these blood clots that we read about from the specific uh, um, J&J vaccine, etc. But again... Can't I, and and maybe this is overstating it, obviously I have nothing to do with medicine and science, you do, so this might be overstating it, you'll tell me if I am. Can't we deduce that if in fact six people out of whatever the number is, a million, two million, I don't know how many people have taken that vaccine, that unfortunately they suffer and we feel bad for them that they're suffering, you know, from whatever it is that, that, uh, that this Joma vaccine caused for them. But doesn't that, fa- and I think there's actually a halachic principle, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, uh, that that's or a Talmudic principle, I should say. It, it, doesn't the exception prove the rule? Doesn't, you know, if we know of six people that, that have um, suffered this side effect, doesn't that give more efficacy to the vaccine that's been given to the other, you know, 1.9 million that were on the other side? So I think you bring up a good point, and I think it's getting a lot of attention in the media because, as we like to say, if it bleeds, it leads, and it's much more interesting to talk about problems than it is to talk about the other 5,900,000. I'm not going to do right, that. Right, exactly. But I think you got my point. But you get um, right. You know, who are fine. So at this point, um, you know, last look, it looks like maybe there were 13 individuals who were identified because it did come back on the market, and this was after CDC did rigorous work and so realized that those 13 means that the CDC CDC combed, looked, you know, picked up rocks to find people um, to make sure that they weren't missing anybody. Um, and I think what the way I put it is I put it in perspective, right? 
So if that's the case, then that means that you're, someone's risk of getting, you know, the exact same type of blood clot in pregnancy is about 50 times greater. But I don't think about, right, we don't think about that. Somebody's risk of getting that same exact blood clot um, in, you know, when taking a regular birth control pill, right, is 900 in a million. That's a lot more than 13 and 6 million. Um <laughs> So we don't, you know, I think when we, when we have something new, right, our brain immediately defaults to say, is this dangerous? Is this dangerous? Right. And that's protective, right? There's a reason that we were created to, you know, to think like this. And the point of the fact is, is the fact that, you know, after this has been well-researched and after, you know, the CDC really did look at the incident. So they were comfortable putting it back on the market with a warning, say that, yes, there is this very, very low risk of blood clot, which, like I said, we, we have to give people that warning before starting them on, on birth control pills that, you know, there's risk of blood clots and risk of other things on this. And, you know, people who get pregnant, again, you know, there's a risk of, of, uh, of blood clots there. And so we have to put the warning. We want people to be informed. We don't want to be hiding any information, God forbid. Um, and it's an extraordinarily low incident. Um, very serious, very sad for the people that this happened to. Right. Um, but it's very, very rare. And so people just need to be aware of that when they're making decisions, um, you know, about what's on the table. And, you know, at the mRNA vaccine, and I think it's like another boost to the mRNA vaccine, um, the Pfizer and the Moderna, not to say, you know, n- nothing against kind of the Johnson & Johnson, but just, you know, if you realize that, okay, so the Johnson & Johnson it was out for a short period of time right away that this very, very rare event was picked up. Well, that makes me feel more confident in the Moderna and Pfizer that right. have been out for longer and there's been no signals that, okay, well, if there would have been a signal, we would have known about it by now. By the way, when the guidelines came out, have you had to edit anything since then? Is it an ongoing process or those guidelines are very similar to the, the first time they were posted? So we've had two iterations of our Moderna and Pfizer guidelines. Um one that was came out right when it came out, and one that included the CDC um, preliminary data. From, mm. So, if you if you know the way, there are different ways that the CDC collects data about adverse effects. One is their V-safe mechanism. One is their VAERS mechanism. Um, it's just again really to be comprehensive. And so then they released you know a first batch of data. And once they did that, we revised. We made a new updated one which because it was very reassuring about, let's say, you know, uh, the vaccine in pregnancy. Um, and so we, we made an updated uh, a guideline. Um, we're due to, um, we, we would like to add to the Johnson & Johnson uh, guidelines because we do need to add the blood clot right. um, uh, warning. And so that's going to be happening next. Um, you know, in terms of updating. Dr. Sarah Becker's with us. Finally, I- I'm going to ask you, I don't think we've done this with anybody from Joma yet, but I'm going to ask you if you don't mind to to do it. And that is the the convenience now. Um, there's a lot more vaccine centers, at least New York, New Jersey. I don't know what's happening around the country, but I'm assuming it's the same. A lot more vaccine centers, and frankly, unfortunately, because you know there's some people who are uh, who are in the hesitancy group. It seems that there are less and less people lining up on a regular basis uh, to get it. So if people have simply been waiting till the rush is over, this is really a very convenient and and plus i i know that the you know the teenagers now are eligible to come and get vaccinated so if people have been waiting just you know for a an easier time so to speak or the perception of an easier time because when i went to the javits center frankly it took me about 8 minutes uh, but if they're if they're waiting because of the whole um 
uh, rush that they uh, perceived is out there. This is really a good time to go get it. Um, I, I, again, <laughs> con- convenience of the vaccine setup is not really your specialty, I would assume. But I would, I would also assume that you and the people at Joma, uh, because of the circumstance that it's so readily available now, uh, that's just an additional re- reason that people should consider getting it. Yeah, and actually, a few of us are on what um, vaccine ass- access WhatsApp chat. Oh, wow! Uh, you know, because we. You know, we are doctors, um, so people maybe reach out to us right. and say, you know, how can I schedule? And so a few of us, um, maybe not necessarily in our official role at JOMA, um, but, uh, you know, just as doctors and I think good people in the community are part of these vaccine access chats. Um, and I will cons- and I will definitely say that at the beginning it was like, oh, no, I, I'm trying to get 10 people, you know, right. an appointment and, and we can't find anything. <laughs> and now it's much more, you know, oh, this pop-up's here, this pop-up is there. And I right. really would encourage people, listen, I get it, right? Like I got vaccinated in, the ho- in, in my hospital at work, so that was really easy. But let's say my mom, who's a doctor, had to take off a day of work because she right. did it all the way at the beginning, you know, to go to Brooklyn and then to go and she has a history of anaphylaxis. So she had to wait an hour, right? You know, so she had to do a long, you know, it was a whole long Tarsha for her. Um, but, you know, now it's just look in your local newspaper, mm-hmm. right? Tons yep. and tons of your shuls and community organizations are making these pop-up sites. It's so convenient. It's literally in your backyard. Yeah, no question um, about it. And the bigger sites are simply less uh, less full. So it's just it's a lot easier yeah. than it was. So. Uh, Dr. Becker, I thank you. Information, everybody, joma.org, J-O-W-M-A.org. Check out their videos and, of course, check out the tab at the top regarding uh, COVID-19 information and education. And uh, I thank you and everybody from Joma. Hopefully these efforts will, in fact, increase the number of people in our community who get the vaccine. And then hopefully that will improve the situation overall in our community and improve the situation overall in the general community. Because, Dr. Becker, we want life to get back to what we remember as normal already. That uh, listen, and you know, you announced my primary role is I'm a psychiatrist, so I'd like Ooh. to go back to doing that full time. And I see the effect that you know these abnormalities have, uh, you know, abnormal living has on people, and that's my goal. Let's I, get back to normal. I'm, gl- I'm glad you mentioned that, and I knew you have to run, but just give me a minute on that because I meant to ask you. Adolescent psychiatry is your specialty. I mean, you know, e- e- how do I put this? Even regular stable, small s, you know, <laughs> uh, stable, <laughs> even regular stable teens who are even, you know, basically in school, maybe Zooming once or twice a week, still uh, the whole social atmosphere, the the conditions of the last year, the frightening stuff of the last year. I mean, I would assume that there's a lot for parents to be, I, I don't want to say concerned, but you would say, you know, parents just be aware of what these kids, even the kids who thank God have normal lives have been through, right? Would that be the proper way of saying it? I think we need to be aware. I think we need to be aware of what we've put our children through for the past year and right. how we can help and support. And listen, you, you ask another question, I'm going to give you another podcast, Nachum. You know that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> Check out Dr. Minkin interviewing Sarah Hannah Radcliffe about pandemic parenting um, for how we can support our teens in this, and, and our, all of our children in this time. And, you know, what I say is there's a reason we don't live like this normally. This yeah. is not normal. This is yeah. not how our children and our teenagers are supposed to grow up. Yep. And we're doing our best as fast as we can, as safe as we can to help the world reopen and we believe that way is through vaccination. Dr. Becker, thanks a million. Thanks so much. Okay, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Dr. Sarah Becker, Joma.org. I mean, she could not have put it better. Could not have put it better. Parents, be aware of what's going on with your kids. 
even if your kids seem to be, you know, happy-go-lucky and have had a uh, a pretty normal school year. Nothing's been normal about this school year, bottom line. Nothing has been normal about this. No matter how normal it looked, nothing's been normal. And all we pray is that starting in September, they have a, a normal school year ahead uh, next year. Boy, do we pray. And a normal summer, hopefully. Uh, by the way, one of the ways you can help everyone have a normal summer, both in our community and the general community, is by getting vaccinated, frankly. <laughs> That's well. That's all I'll say. Um, it's an effective way to get everybody back to normal. Let's do it together. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at and the Nachum Network, and of course, in the beloved NSNL. Uh-huh.